0: So welcome again. If if you've arrived just in the last couple of minutes, um, we've we've swapped some things around today. We've we've only done about half of our time of sung worship. We're going to be finishing with some more worship soon. And uh, part of that is just because of the theme of this morning and and what we're speaking on and what the appropriate response feels like it should be. So there's a little bit more worship to come. But uh, as we begin our moment of coming to the Scriptures and thinking about what the life of Jesus means for us, Just for those of you who may have been away for a couple of weeks, we're doing a series at the moment called Be With, Be Like, and uh, with this series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to think about John chapter 15, where Jesus gives us this beautiful metaphor of fruitfulness, and he says it's about abiding in the vine that you may bear fruit. Be with, be like, abide, bear, experience and encounter, exhibit Put it out into the world. So, um, what I want to invite you to do is, if you haven't been around for a couple of weeks, over on the table as you leave today, we've made a little prayer companion for the series just keeps walking along the journey of this series, and we'd love you to grab this just as a little way of daily or weekly stopping and abiding and being with God in prayer and uh, scripture readings. So it unfolds, and there's a few things in the middle that you can do. So if you haven't been around for a few weeks, grab one of these as you leave. We'd love you to take one of those with you. So what we're doing with this series is we're walking through the fruit of the Spirit, and we started last week by looking at love. We began last week with the first of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, which is actually all of the fruit of the Spirit. All of the rest of the fruit of the Spirit are just different aspects of that one fruit, love. And so today we're going to be looking at the next one. We're going to be looking at joy. So I want to invite you to stand at two for the reading of Scripture today. And I want to invite Lizzie. Lizzie Langridge is going to come and she's going to be doing today's Scripture reading. And today we're going to be taking in a huge piece of Scripture in one go. We're going to be reading all of Luke chapter 15. You'll probably recognize a couple of these um, stories that are in here, but uh, In one big go, we're going to be listening to all of it in one hit. So, Lizzie?
1: It looks even longer now. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Chapter 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over ninety-nine others who are righteous and haven't away. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbours and say, "'Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin.'" In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The youngest son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money and wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, "'At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger.' But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, and now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house and he asked one of the servants what was going on. "'Your brother is back,' he was told, "'and your father has killed the fattened calf. "'We are celebrating because of his safe return.' The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, "'All these years I've slaved for you "'and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to, "'and in all of that time you never even gave me "'one young goat for a feast with my friends.' Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found.
0: This is the word of God for us today. Grab a seat. Thank you, Lizzie. These three parables that we've just heard are stories that Jesus is using as a device to get us to imagine something. He's plucking from real life, real things, to get us to see a spiritual truth. And he's using these real things. A lost sheep. A lost coin. A lost son. And all of them are being found. Here's the truth that's sitting in the text today. God rejoices when lost things are found. God rejoices and he celebrates accordingly. We could sum this up as this: God's love is joyful. Now, today is part 3. Of our series, and we're looking at the fruit of joy. Joy is the next fruit in the list of Galatians chapter 5: 22 to 23. That's just why it's next. We're working through the list from start to end. But it's also a prominent facet of love, and it's a characteristic of the Christian life. There's over 400 references throughout the scriptures to this idea of joy. There's over 80 in just the Psalms. There's 40 in the Gospels around the life of Jesus. And there's this root word joy, which is then also used in the words uh, to rejoice and to enjoy. These action words. Now, in our secular culture today, joy is used in a whole heap of ways. It's used on motivational posters and Instagram posts. It's used by marketers to sell us a black carbonated liquid Enjoy. Coca-Cola, they say. Or in more recent years, open happiness. Uh, Marie Kondo took the world by storm, uh, what was it, like a year and a half, two years ago, by encouraging us all to clean out our cupboards and our wardrobes and to hold a a garment up to us and ask, does this spark joy? (laughs) Asking us, if it does spark joy, keep it. If it doesn't spark joy, move it on. Or in the brilliant kids film Inside Out, we follow Riley and the five main emotions of her humanity within her as she goes through some big changes in life. She moves to San Francisco and her five emotions start to deal with that moment. The five emotions in the movie are joy, fear, anger, disgust, and sadness. And joy is voiced by Amy Poehler. And she is portrayed at the start of the movie as kind of the dominant emotion of Riley's life. She's been ruling the roost. She's been the one in charge. She's been the one calling the shots. But in this moment of moving away, this undesirable emotion of sadness starts to spring up more and more and starts to emerge. The movie brilliantly follows how joy and sadness can actually start to come together instead of being at odds, and they can actually counterbalance each other. Now, personality-wise in the room today, if you're an upbeat, optimistic, energetic person, you might struggle to see why others don't always share your enthusiasm and joyful disposition to life like you do. Using the inside-out idea, maybe joy has the run of the roost. Maybe if you're subdued and melancholic by nature, Maybe someone with the idea of sadness is the one who has the default run in your home. You've probably already regretted coming to church today to hear a talk on joy. You're hoping this to end quickly. All that to say that there's a wide spectrum of personalities and how we will all approach this. But today, what is joy? You know, it's curiously quite challenging to actually define what joy is, Uh, but here are some definitions that I've been sitting with over this last week as I've been prepping for this. Joy is a buoyant sense of well-being. Joy is an intense satisfaction. Joy is an exultant delight. Does that sound good to you? It naturally expresses itself in laughter, in song, in gratitude, in large-heartedness, and in generosity. And it is highly desirable. We spend a lot of energy and a lot of effort trying to get it. We spend a lot of time trying to find it. And once found, we try to keep it at all costs. Uh, In 1955, C.S. Lewis wrote this book, Surprised by Joy, which is actually his autobiography in a way. And in it, Lewis called joy an unsatisfied desire which in itself is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. He labels this desire joy and he says that it, must sharply, sorry, it must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and from pleasure. It's something else. And in this terrific work, he defines joy as the phenomenon of longing. And he mentions how, in response to this longing, he has been struck with stabs of joy throughout his life. Hence the title, Surprised by Joy. It shows up as a surprise. This longing gets answered, something arrives. It comes from outside of us. It comes from outside of our own happiness. It comes from outside of our own ability to smile. It comes from outside of our own pleasure. And it arrives to us as a gift. Now, we can desire for it to happen to us. We can desire a joyful life. But most of the time, we actually can't make it happen. Joy will be striking us with stabs in the longing of our hearts, as C.S. Lewis puts it. It just, well, it just arrives. Joy arrives sometimes. Your know, joy can be experienced in a response of wide ranges of positive things, can't it? It can be experienced through the birth of a child. It can be experienced through a wedding, a great wedding. It can be experienced through a successful harvest. It can be experienced through finding a great job. It can be experienced through scoring the winning point. Um, man, I was full of joy twice last night watching a few intercepts go down against the, in the, against, in the uh, Bleslow Cup game, that's for sure. There's something about these moments where suddenly joy erupts. And in our reading today from Luke 15, we heard those three parables from Jesus, those three stories. God's joy arrived in the finding of the lost thing. God's joy was evident by the activity of return and redemption. The finding of the lost sheep, likened to our own return to him as our shepherd, causes joy. The woman rejoicing over the lost coin, something of value, causes joy. The father's joy rejoicing over his lost son, calling a party, He wasn't full of joy before he walked down the driveway, but upon him walking down the driveway, he erupts. You know, this might sound preposterous. It might even sound heretical, but heaven seems to be surprised by joy. It breaks out when God's loving longings are fulfilled. It breaks out when we arrive back to him. It breaks out when we turn our hearts towards him. There is a response from heaven and it's celebration. Or as Ephesians 1 puts it, God's mysterious plan came together that it may give him great joy. When we return to being in love and with union with him, his response is joy. He celebrates. But but joy is more than just the arrival of something. It's more than that. It can also become a disposition. Our Christian tradition locates the ultimate source of joy is being in God's love. So joy is in God eternal. It's in God's desire for his creation, for his creatures to experience this joy themselves. I love it how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 16 verse 11. I just love this this week. You will show me the way of life, says the psalmist, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. I love that. Just that is a beautiful bit of psalm right there. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Listen to how immersive the psalmist is here. Listen to how he's sitting in joy. This is more than just a response to an event at arriving. This this is actually a longing for it to be eternal, for it to be a way lived, for it to be his existence in the world. And so last week we covered how God is love plus nothing. If you missed that, go back and listen to it. Remember, God's love is all these attributes we're talking about in this series, So here we are seeing that God's love is a joyful love. His posture towards creation and us is a loving joy. That could be defined from those definitions earlier. God's love towards us is a buoyant sense of well-being that we too may share that same thing. God's joy towards us is an an intense satisfaction that we too may experience that too. God's loving joy to us is an exultant delight that we too may experience that too. Always, This is God's disposition to us, longing that it would be our disposition to the world. And so for us, for it to become a disposition, how do we do that? What does it take? Well, a disposition takes cultivation. A disposition takes cultivation. When it has truly been cultivated, it is a more sustained disposition in our lives. Instead of it just being that moment of being joyful at a wedding, We actually become people of joy as we witness and live in the fruit of a long and good marriage. Or rather than us just being full of joy because we got that job, we actually become joyful because our life's work is being worked out in beautiful and fruitful ways in that job. We start to see a different perspective of how things are working in our everyday. Even in the trial of hardship, This paradoxical nature of joy, which we're going to talk about a little bit more soon. But before we get there, we've been reading from John 15 over the last couple of weeks, this idea that we need to be attached to the vine. And Jesus in that scripture expresses the goal of being attached to the vine. He says that our joy might be, uh, what is it? I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. That our joy would be found complete in him. Jesus' reference to his joy is a reminder that Christian joy is not merely just a circumstantial thing of a response to a positive experience. No, it's also this expression of a supernatural life abiding with God, abiding with the Spirit, the Spirit within. And so if we abide in love, we will find ourselves receiving love and the Spirit will grow in us a fruit of joyfulness. Making sense? So how do we cultivate it then? Can we actually wrangle this? Is it even possible? Well, if joy is the fruit, then like all fruit, there's some gardening to do. And for joy, the work of gardening is to practice gratitude. It's the practice of gratitude. Now, when we practice gratitude, we stop and we ask repeatedly, what are we grateful for? Why, why did that happen? Why is that that way? How did that happen? Where did that come from? To practice gratitude is to examine our lives often, not just once a year, to often look and to ask the same Marie Kondo question, does this spark joy? What's sparking joy? The joys that were obvious, but also the joys that were hidden until we actually stopped and looked. This is the gardening work of cultivating joy in our everyday lives. Now, the Christian practice of this is simply called the prayer of examine. It's an Ignatian spirituality practice where you pray a couple of core questions at the end of the day. You sit, you reflect, and you ask of yourself, you review your day, and you locate where was God amongst today's activities. And in it... You ask, where did I encounter joy today? So the cultivation work, the gardening work of this fruit requires for us to sit down at the end of the day and just to check in, where was joy? Where was joy? Where did it find me? Where did it arrive as a surprise? And where did it burst out of me? Because it's been sitting there all along. And in cultivating that joy and wrangling it from just being something that happens to us and surprises us, to actually making it something that becomes a disposition in our lives, the way we are actually holding ourselves in the world, a significant byproduct of joy then is given to us. It makes us resilient. It makes us resilient. Many of us all know the words from Nehemiah. It was in our prayer readings for this week, actually. So maybe you've already gone there and you're ahead of me here. But it is, the joy of the Lord is your strength from Nehemiah 8 verse 10. And it's important to note here, This is not just a cute phrase to hand out to people to say, be more joyful. No, no, this is a profound thought. What is going on here is that the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. It actually becomes resilience. It actually becomes something strong within us. Because this is true, isn't it? We fight hard to maintain the things we're most joyful for, don't we? Like, think about it. I love my son. I absolutely love my little boy. He is my absolute joy. I will do anything for him. Because he's my joy. I love my wife. She is my absolute treasure and joy. I will do anything for her. I love this church. You are my absolute joy. I will do anything for you. I love my God. He is my joy. I will do anything for him. For you, it might be, I love making music. I will do anything to make music. It might be, I absolutely love creation and the earth. I I will do anything to save the creation and the earth at the moment. It might be, I love serving people. I will do anything to be placed serving people. Whatever you are joyful for, we respond with courage and we respond with conviction. We are not easily swayed. But again, note, it's what joy creates us to do. So it's not just a cheap bit of advice be more joyful. God, you look down, be more joyful. That's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is saying, no, there's a resilience to find when you find the things to be joyful about. You will then cultivate resilience into the world. Which brings me to perhaps the trickiest part of handling joy. And I alluded to this just a little earlier. How does joy exist in those tough times? What do we do when we are in situations of suffering, legitimate suffering situations? How can joy possibly exist in a world that is currently ravaged by the headlines that ours is? How can joy exist when COVID-19 is dominating the headlines or the climate crisis is what it is? Or maybe in our personal lives where, where we have unmet expectations, legitimate unmet expectations, or we have addictions that overpower us, or we just have this absence of a good life lived. How can joy exist in that? Well, this is where joy becomes a paradox, a Christian paradox that we must hold in tension. Christian joy is a paradox. Why should we have joy in a faith that is centered upon A dead man, beaten, bloody, and bruised, hanging from a cross. Why would the early Christians rejoice in being persecuted, being thrown in jails, literally thrown in or stoned out on the edge of the city? Not that kind of stoned, the the one you don't want, the the beaten kind. (laughs) Why would we enjoy this living out of a faith that at the moment within our culture seems it seems outdated in so many ways or it seems like hypocritical or it just seems like a bunch of rules. Or, or why would we have faith? Why, why would we enjoy a faith that calls us to this radical thing to lose oneself? I, I thought if you're going to be full of joy, won't you be fulfilled? Like our culture says to be fully joyful, you will find everything about yourself. You will accept everything about yourself. you have everything you ever dreamed. Yet in the Christian faith, We're called to lose ourselves that we may find life. It's paradoxical. That's where the paradox has to be tied to a major Christian theme, which is hope. We are most joyful when we receive what we've hoped for. Joy and hope are tied together. What we hope for, what we long for, remember C.S. Lewis earlier, what we long for is what we'll be most joyful for when it happens. You know, think of those of you who are saving for a house at the moment. How's that day going to be when you get to stand outside, take that selfie outside that sold sign with you in front of it? For those of us who are trying to have children, how's it going to be when that good news arrives? for those waiting for COVID to be dealt with so you can get that passport back out of the cupboard and you can go on that trip you've been wanting to go for a long time. Now we know from either others experiencing it around us or from the tastes of joy that we have from those experiences around those experiences, what joy will be like in those moments, don't we? We know what it will be like to be standing in those moments full of joy, experiencing joy. And that is what the Christian hope becomes. That's when the Christian hope becomes our joyful paradox, We know the ending of our story because we've already seen the start in Jesus. Jesus Christ did not enter the world just to die on a cross. He entered it to proclaim the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God has burst into this broken and cracked creation and it is making its way throughout time and history. Healing and restoring, redeeming and resurrecting. God is putting things back to rights bit by bit by bit. And he promised that this, this is what his kingdom is doing. And this is what his gospel is going to complete in the future. And we live torn in this now and not yet nature of that, stretched in all kinds of directions between suffering and hope and joy. We are living in between. We are living in this torn state of hope. But that hope nonetheless is ours to receive now. Uh, In his book, it's a brilliant book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by Tim Keller. Stunning, stunning little book. He says this, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. Oh, Keller is good. Christian joy is focused on what's coming ahead. It gets its lift, its buoyancy from what God is doing in the future. That's why in Romans 12, it has that phrase, we should rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Such joy comes from the Spirit who is at work now in us in this church and in the church, bringing about this alignment in all of us to God's future, God's God's plan when all things are made new it will be gloriously wonderful we can take joy in that amen Amen. have I lost you when all things are made new it will be wonderful there will be no more need for tears there will be no crying or mourning says the prophet Isaiah and so it says in revelation there will be no more of those things it will be as it should be we put our joy in that The people of God have always had this future-oriented posture. The Psalmist does the exact same thing. Whether it's David who's sick of Saul trying to hunt him down or whether it's Israel and Babylon yearning to be back in their place, they have always rejoiced towards this hopeful picture. They don't just muster it up. There's something else that's drawing them to joy. And that's why the scriptures reiterate this imperative, rejoice. It's not some hollow command. It's not hype. It's not like whip, whip, whip. It is actually, it's not, it's not. yeah, it's, it's an embody, it's a call to embody hope. It's part of this power together of being a corporate body to be able to enjoy what it is to see rejoicing people around us, to remind us, wait, 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 wait. The story that I'm in at the moment is not the only story. This rejoicing reminds us I'm not the only one. There's something bigger going on. And I want to be really clear here about this. All of this does not mean we deny the current suffering. It doesn't. We do not deny the state of the world. We do not deny what we're going through. We do not hide it away. No, 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 no. That is, that is not what the Bible calls us to at all. We can bring it to the surface. We can hold it and name it and intercede for it and say what it is. We can lament. We can do all of those things, but we lament to hope and in hoping we will paradoxically find joy. Which brings me to wanting to speak on a little something that we do here for half an hour every week. Every week we sing. Every week we gather, not as some form of weird, lame Christian karaoke, or as some sort of warm-up for the main event coming later on, We sing to embody hope. All week long, we have worship leaders. Apologies, I don't have photos of all of our worship leaders. Sorry, Donald, I didn't didn't ask your permission for this, but that's Donald, everybody. Um, You probably know him. Every week, we have some people in our church called worship leaders. And we have these musicians who are so creative so stunning and we have songs we have lyrics we have art and all week long a couple of people take seriously a priestly like being in our midst they pray and they seek God and they consider what words do we need to put into our mouths this week how are we going to stand in the gap between what is suffering and hope prayerfully our worship leaders spend the week considering what they do here for us every week uh, laura and ants who are the two leaders this morning you know earlier this week i flicked them a message and said look this is where we're tracking and we just had this sort of ongoing dialogue about this moment they, they care for this moment they don't just sort of whip it out of nowhere it is priestly like behavior in our midst they get together with the band on a Thursday night and they rehearse the, the, the songs. They think about it. Okay, so should this be upbeat or should this be downbeat? Should, should we sort of lift this bit or drop this bit? Should we all come in here or should we all drop out here? Like how many voices? No voices, whatever. Like what do we do with the songs? How do we handle the art? Our musicians and our worship leaders work together to create these spaces for us to embody hope. This is careful work. Our worship leaders are a gift to us. Our musicians, you are a gift to us. And on behalf of our church, we don't say it enough, but to our worship leaders, to our musicians, to our creatives who make all of this happen, thank you for being priestly amongst us. Thank you for taking it seriously. Thank you for putting words into our mouths with such care and prayer and intercession and longing and hope. We don't say thank you enough, so thank you. And as they go about that work, Sometimes things can feel a bit down. Sometimes they can feel up. Sometimes it's usually just in the middle. Sometimes it's down because we need to lament something. Sometimes it's up because we need to celebrate and be joyful. Often, though, it's somewhere in the middle, just kind of bubbling away, finding both of those spectrums, ends of the spectrum. And as a community, we always want to live out with great care what it is to weep with those who are weeping and to celebrate with those who are joyful. That is the work of the church, is to always find ourselves in that place. But it's the idea today of just swinging the pendulum a little bit more to joy that I want to speak into just for a few more minutes. I just want to talk about swinging the pendulum over, that praise could be something of rejoicing and what it means for us as a people group together. What I want to propose is this. Joy is not a certain tempo. It is, though, a posture of expression. And around the world, cultural formation and context provides a a lot of how different people groups would see this playing out. So, for example, when I think of the most joyous people in the world, I don't often think of middle-class, white, stoic, keep-it-together Anglo-Saxon English people not a dig i think of our african brothers and sisters maybe south american maybe even closer to home our pacifica neighbors culturally these people groups just seem to express joy in a far more expressive way so i'm not i'm not making a dig i'm not saying that they're more joyful i'm just saying that their expression of that joy is definitely a little bit more out there. You know, think of the parades and festivals that we might see in India or Brazil, or think of the dancing and the drums and the rhythm that you might find in a Pacifica nation if you went to visit Fiji, for example. This is not a dig, this is just an expression example. And I, I think this, I think we need to observe that there's this cultural context that all of this is sitting in. There's a cultural context. Now just think about our cultural context for a moment. Just think of our mainstream radio. Think about flicking on the edge or whatever you listen to. Radio Hodaki. We flick it on and we listen to the sort of average pop songs for that set set of listeners. We will go to the gigs that we go to. And then we go to gigs that we go to the way we go to gigs. We go to Spark Arena or we go to the power station or whatever. Just think of those moments and... Just think of the sound, you know, most of them are bands, most of them might be electronic music, you know, pop acts, you know, bands like um, The Beths, who are probably my favorite out of this list that I'm about to say, The Beths, Avalanche City, LAB, 660, Lord, Stan Walker, Teeks, Benny, like this would be our everyday kind of pop music world, right? And then they've got like the alternative scenes on the edges, but that big, fat middle bit there would be kind of those names, right? That would be kind of like New Zealand music. How, does it, how is it put about 660? It's New Zealand barbecue music, <laughs> I think is how it was put. <laughs> put it on during your summer barbecue. Perfect. Now, this is just an observation to me, but because that's the cultural context that our music is sitting in, and the gigs we go to or the way it comes through in that everyday radio or on TV... We come to church and I think we want our worship style to fit into that. That's the cultural context. And so we want the music to kind of fit within the parameters of that. Not too hard and fast and out there on this side and not too, you know, like we want it to kind of sit within that zone. And so we walk into church and we want church to feel like that on Sunday. We want the music to kind of sit in that sweet spot like we're listening to all week long. Not too fast, not too slow, just right. But sometimes in church... Sometimes the words call us beyond that form and that comfortable feeling, don't they? You know, for example, we sing a song that says this, praise the Lord, O my soul, with all my being, with all my being. Here's what happens when we sing that song. This is not judgmental. This is not judgmental. Most of us suddenly become very English, middle class and stoic. And our best version of with all my being is we might lift our hands or we might clap on the two and the four, you know? Like that's, that's just our cultural form playing, playing with us. The best we can think of with all my being is like there's this thing called like the indie knee where you kind of like just do this like you're in the strokes or something. I don't know, like that's what I do. Like that's, I'm, I'm going for it there, you know? That's my all my being. I ain't skipping. I sure as heck aren't doing the seagull. <laughs> yeah, it's charismatic stuff from my upbringing has scarred me, that stuff. So there's this container that I want this to fit in, right? But we sing these lyrics that draw us out of that container. When we sing all my being with all I have, and we look at the container, we have to realize this lyric is trying to draw me out. It's trying to draw me to something else. It's trying to draw me to beyond. What about when the form itself takes on a bit of joyful life beyond the words and beyond the the things we're used to as well? You know, sana... Uh, got us singing that song that we did just did before, that song, Yahweh. And like, it's like gospely and groovy. Like the form feels like, oh, this is different. Like when you listen, this, this, like our version is like really tame compared to the way that it's done properly. It's like, we've kind of dialed it back a lot. Why? Because the form, we want the form to feel right, but also that form itself, if I was at that church singing that song in that form, it's going to draw me to something different. It's going to take me beyond my cultural norms. You know, we sing that song, and that container wants to draw us to something else. And you might be sitting here, and you might be thinking, Dan, I'm with you. About time someone said it. Let's have some more joy in this place. But some of you, though, might be thinking, no, like, that's just manipulation. I'm not feeling that. Don't make me do it. I'm not feeling that way. That's going through my head sometimes. Oh, if you could see inside my head sometimes. The discomfort of when moments in church are colliding with, I know how some of you are sitting in here. The moments where we say something, and I know it's going to be really hard for that person to hear that today, because I know how their week's been. Like the pastor in me holds that. And so there's a discomfort in that. But these joyful expressions They go beyond our culturally informed ways that we walk in the doors with and even how we're finding ourselves at the moment, even when we're not feeling it. And so maybe just to kind of put this into um, something to kind of take hold of now, I've written a parable of what I think this moment can feel like in a really healthy way. Here's my parable. In the words of Jesus, we heard three parables Today, this is the parable of Dan on joyful expression when we don't feel like it. Imagine that COVID is gone and you can travel again. So you buy a plane ticket and you decide, Brazil. Imagine the day comes, you pack your stuff, you head to the airport, but oh, you're late because traffic has meant you're late, and you arrive to the airport and you're a bit stressed out because suddenly you're behind time, and the person who's on the kiosk is not very helpful. In fact, are. <laughs> you have the worst flight ever. You end up being in a seat that doesn't have a working entertainment unit, and the sheets with a crying jimmy are behind you, and a few hours you end up suffering from air sickness, from the turbulence. You don't sleep a wink because the Sheed's kid behind you is not coping so well with the flight and he's letting everyone know about it. And when you land, your luggage is lost and you end up dragging yourself in the clothes that you're wearing to this rubbish hostel that you booked that looked way better in the photos. <laughs> you have no belongings, no toothbrush. You try your best to get a few hours sleep. In summary, a whole heap of crappy circumstances behind, beyond your control came and got you well and truly on that trip. And then in the morning, as the sun starts to come up, you wake to the sound of some trumpets and some drums, some voices and some whistles. And you look outside the window of your hostel and you see color as a parade seems to be coming down the street past you. It's filing past your window, you, you look out, you can see people are coming out of their homes and they're flocking to stand on the side of the street and they're starting to take this in, you grab, well, you don't grab anything, I should have edited that bit out, you don't have anything, you you, you, you leave, you go downstairs and you, and you take in this sight of colour and energy as it starts to come ahead of, it's just passing in front of you, you stand on the edge and you watch as dancers are starting to dance in front of you, musicians are just going for it and floats, big floats, getting bigger and bigger and bigger as each one comes past. Keep going past with more things happening on them. Children are starting to run alongside the parade as it goes past. You ask a local, you say "What, what, what is this? What's going on? And they say, through their muddled English, they say, well this is for a historic occasion. We do this every year. It's to honour the good work of the festival and we're hoping for a good festival to come. And you're like oh, that, that is cool. And so you start looking and you watch as the dancers are telling these stories and you can hear these songs as they're singing these songs. There's this cheering and there's this clapping. And you find yourself starting to clap along on the two and the four because you're a good, good person. And so you clap along as this thing unfolds in front of you. And for a moment, what happens? You forget about the fact that your luggage has been lost. You forget about how bad your sleep was. You forget, you forget about that half-finished email you're writing to in New Zealand about that kiosk person. <laughs> this display of joy in front of you It takes you somewhere else for a few moments. It takes you being present to that moment and that story. And a longing in you that is so much greater than those things has been met in the display of the parade. Or as C.S. Lewis put it at the start of this talk, it surprises you. When we sing together on Sunday... What if that's just us joining the parade? The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, man's chief end is to love God. Oh, what's that? I don't even know what that is. Well, oh, man. Hang on. It's gone. Ah, oh, man. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says that we are to love God and enjoy Him forever. Christian joy is perennially expressed in music and poetry and dance, and celebration, and humor, and laughter, we have a parade that comes past every Sunday. To be a community who enjoys God, one of the spaces for us to do this is our sung worship. When we sing, we are taking our cues from the psalmists who have led the people of God in parades for generations. We're joining with the expressions of the church and the expression of humanity, as it expresses delight and gratitude and beauty and ecstasy, we join the historic parade of people enjoying God. You know, the human race has always sung. Songs come out of all spheres of humanity in all kinds of communities, exclaiming what they are joyful about. And so when we come together as the people of God, that's one of the reasons why we sing. We use music and melody and ups and downs and tempos and all kinds of things. Art that moves the soul and lifts our emotional state. Not as a manipulative practice, but as a response to the song that's already going on around us in the life with God. And yes, we join the parade for a while and we may then have to leave. We go back to our trials, we go back to our life lived, we go back to our suffering but we go, having encountered the parade, we go with a different perspective. And so we must remember that where we start. We start that the fact that there's, as we start in Luke 15, there is a party going on in God's realm when lost things are found. And so they rejoice. God knows there's still plenty of suffering to be endured. There's plenty more laments to be sung. But we paradoxically are invited to the parade to see, as it said as in Luke, everything that God has, has been given to us. When we sing, even if it's just from the side of the parade with that awkward bit that we can muster, we join in the celebration. We join in what's going on in front of us. We remind ourselves of God's love and rejoicing work with us. I want to invite the team to come back and they're going to lead us in another... A bit of worship, a bit of songs, a bit of singing. When we sing and worship, we join the parade. God's found us, we've found him. He's not done with us yet, we sing our hope. We're going to literally sing hope now. If you're looking for a certain tempo, it's probably not going to be here. But what will be here is lyrics of hope. Lyrics that draw us to consider this joy that we can sit with stand with and so our love is to be joyful we are to practice gratitude that we may have a resilient hope no matter what comes and we will find ourselves in the parade singing our hearts out over to you, Anson and Laura. Thank you for leading us today. Can we just do something that didn't happen earlier? Can we just say thank you to our worship community? Just with a round of applause. All of the worship community. Yeah. All of you. The ones, the ones that aren't here today, the ones that are just standing amongst you, the ones that are not here today, they're sick or elsewhere. Like we great, We're so grateful for the gift you bring. This priestly-like beautiful work you do with us. So thank you. Thank you, guys.